tonight, I would like to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 35. And if you looked at the bulletin or you see the screen right now, you can see that my goal tonight is to preach two chapters of Exodus. And you're thinking, wow, we're going to be here a really long time tonight. But as we get into uh, Exodus 35 and 36, we will see that much of what we're reading here is almost verbatim, word for word, of earlier sections that we've already looked at in Exodus. I mentioned before that the structure of Exodus is such that once uh, God begins giving the instructions for the tabernacle to Moses up on the mountain, that he goes through and in great detail explains the pattern and the design, and the materials that are to be used, how it is to be constructed. And then there's an interlude with the golden calf incident. And then the last few chapters of Exodus, where we are now, it it picks up on that pattern of the tabernacle, except now, instead of giving the designs and the instructions, now they're actually going through with the, the gathering of the materials and actually building it and putting it together. So one is the instruction, the other is the implementation. And so what we see here, beginning in Exodus 35, is the fulfillment of what God was instructing Moses to do earlier when he was up on the mountain. I wrestled a little bit with whether or not to read all of these verses tonight. But I'm going to do that because I'm convinced that what Moses wrote here is more important than what I'm going to say about it. So even if I only say a few things about these words, the words themselves are life, aren't they? These are the words of God. If we think about it, there is a reason, isn't there, that much of this is repeated from the way that it was earlier in chapter 29 and, and around that, uh, those sections there before the golden calf. There's a reason why Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, repeated this material. And so I'm going to read both of these chapters together. And according to Max McLean, it'll take about nine and a half minutes. (laughs) So we'll see how close I am to Max McLean. Not in sound, but at least in time. Exodus 35. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, 
clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps, and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard, and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved then came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or the other durable leather, brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary 
left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. All those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by expert hands. All the curtains were the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains together and did the same with the other five. Then they made loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set, and the same was done with the end curtain in the other set. They also made 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set, with the loops opposite each other. Then they made 50 gold clasps and used them to fasten the two sets of curtains together so that the tabernacle was a unit. They made curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains were the same size, 30 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains into one set and the other six into another set. Then they made 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain of the other set. They made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the tent together as a unit. Then they made for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red and over that a covering of the other durable leather. They made upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame was 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, with two projections set parallel to each other. They made all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. They made 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle and made 40 silver bases to go under them, two bases for each frame, one under each projection. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, they made 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. They made six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle, and two frames were made for the corners of the tabernacle at the far end. At these two corners, the frames were double from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring. Both were made alike. So there were eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. They also made crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, and five for the frames on the west at the far end of the tabernacle. They made the center crossbar so that it extended from end to end at the middle of the frames. They overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars. They also overlaid the crossbars with gold. They made the curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. They made four posts of acacia wood for it and overlaid them with gold. They made gold hooks for them and cast their four silver bases. For the curtain, for the entrance to the tent, they made a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. And they made five posts with hooks for them. 
They overlaid the tops of the posts and their bands with gold and made their five bases of bronze. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity to read and to reflect on the truths of your word tonight. Father, help us to see what these words teach us as your people so many years removed from their original writing and application. Father, I pray that you, your spirit would not only help us to understand mentally, but that he would take these truths and cause us to live them out, to grow in holiness and to grow in our Christ-likeness. And Father, we pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Why would Moses repeat almost everything that he said in, say, chapter 27 to 31? Why would he do that? Well, here are a few reasons, a few, few ideas as to why this repetition is important. One, it draws attention to the faithfulness of Moses in transmitting accurately the message that God gave him to deliver to his people. So Moses was a listener, then he became the mediator and the communicator. So in the earlier passages, when Moses is receiving the instructions, he is receiving the words of God. Now he is giving those words of God to the people. And by repeating those same words, almost verbatim, it shows the faithfulness of Moses as that prophet, doesn't it? It shows that he was a faithful receiver of the word of God and a faithful communicator of the word of God. So it it draws attention to Moses' faithfulness. Another reason why this material is repeated is that it brings a contrast, I think an intentional contrast, between what the Israelites made in Exodus chapter 32 and what they will make in Exodus chapter 35 to 40. What did the Israelites make in chapter 32? They made a golden calf. What are they going to make in chapter 35 to 40? They're going to make a proper, holy tabernacle for the Lord. And that verb, to make, to create, is found all the way throughout those chapters. And I think there's intentionality there that, They made something wrong, but then God forgave them, and now they're going to make something right. This is is their fulfillment of the new covenant that God made with them, of renewing that covenant that they had broken. And so it, it highlights that repetition. Interestingly enough, Victor Hamilton in his commentary points out that in chapter 1, Israel builds, makes things for Pharaoh. But now they're making things, they're building things for God. And he says, you wouldn't notice this in English because they were building buildings for Pharaoh and they're building a tent for God. But he points out that in Hebrew, the the sounds are very close together. It's essentially a play on words. And so you have the buildings that they built for Pharaoh are Mishkanot, and the tabernacle they built for God is a mishkan. And so in chapter 1, at the beginning of Exodus, they're building something, but they're building it for Pharaoh. Under duress, under enslavement, under tyranny. But now they're willingly 
building something for their God, aren't they? They're building something for the worship of their God. Also, we see throughout Exodus several times where we have a twofold repetition. And this continues that pattern. For example, God calls Moses twice to go to Egypt. Twice, God gives his people the covenant and the tablets. The first time, then they break the covenant and Moses smashes the tablets. Then God gives them the covenant and the tablets again. So there is this twofold pattern of repetition all the way throughout Exodus. And Victor Hamilton makes this point in his commentary. He says, the repetition of the material in chapter 35 to 39 helps to move the message of Exodus to its climax beyond the concerns of chapter 34. He says, if Exodus had finished with chapter 34, then the book's final scene would have focused on forgiveness, restoration, and covenant renewal. And he says, well, what's wrong with those themes? Well, those are very important themes, aren't they? Forgiveness and covenant renewal. But he says, he asked this thought-provoking question. He says, is forgiveness an end in itself or a means to an end? Is forgiveness an end in itself? Is that the final goal or is forgiveness a means to a greater end? And he says, forgiveness, reconciliation, covenant renewal, that is a means to getting to the real climax, which is what? God coming to dwell with his people. So we finish the book in chapter 40 with God coming to rest in his newly built home. And so this repetition is intentional to show us that that reconciliation and forgiveness is important, but that is moving towards something that is even grander, and that is that the almighty, eternal creator God would come and dwell in the midst of these Israelite people, and that he would be their God, and they would be his people. And so there's intentionality in this repetition. I think there's one more reason And this goes to my first point this evening. And that is that all of this repetition highlights the obedience of the people of Israel. It highlights their obedience. And so it it teaches us really all the way throughout all of these chapters, chapter 35 to 40, it teaches us to honor the Lord with our obedience to honor the Lord with our obedience. So God had given them a covenant. They broke that covenant. God was going to destroy them. But Moses interceded. God forgave them. He renewed the covenant with them. And now he says, now go do what I gave Moses the instructions to do. Take the pattern, take the blueprint that I gave Moses, and now go do it. And the repetition, word for word, I think highlights the detailed obedience of the people of Israel and the detailed faithfulness and obedience of Moses, their leader. In fact, well over 10 times in these chapters, it says that the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded. And over a half a dozen times in chapter 40, it says of Moses that he did as the Lord had instructed him. 
And so one of the key reasons for this repetition is to highlight the obedience of God's people. And that's important for us to remember because a lot of times when we think about the people of Israel in Exodus, a negative picture comes to our mind, doesn't it? We think of the golden calf. We think of their, their, uh, their blasphemous idolatry in, in making this golden calf, this idol, a false god. And they, they claimed this is the god that brought us up out of Egypt. What blasphemy and treason against God. We think of that, but we also need to see the full picture. And we need to see that God is doing something in them, isn't he? He's doing a work in them. He has forgiven them, but now he is doing a work in their hearts. He is transforming them, and now they are willingly showing obedience, and we're about to see in a moment, willingly showing generosity of spirit in giving to the Lord. So it's important to remember that that the picture of the Israelites is not all negative in Exodus. There is some here that we can learn from them and imitate, and this is one of those places where they obey fully the Lord. And so these chapters teach us to honor the Lord with our obedience. In the first part of chapter 35, the the text teaches us to honor the Lord with our time. Honor the Lord with our time. Chapter 35 opens up with a command about the Sabbath. Verse 2 says, For six days work is to be done. But the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now what is fascinating is why would, why would God put this instruction here? And the interesting thing is, is the last thing that we read right before the golden calf incident is a command regarding Sabbath. And after the resolution and the covenant renewal, after the golden calf incident, the first instruction that we receive is regarding the Sabbath. In other words, on either side of this great sin of Israel is framed by the importance of observing Sabbath to the Lord. Why is that? Well, it shows us that even though God is very much concerned about building this sanctuary, he is not willing to for them to work, to accomplish it by working on the Sabbath. Even as important, can you think of any greater building project than to build a house for the Lord your God? To build a dwelling place where he, his glorious presence will come to rest and, and to build a structure that he himself gave the blueprints for. There's no other greater building project than that, and yet God says, I want you to take a time out every seventh day and rest. It'll get done, it'll get finished when it gets finished, but you must honor me on the Sabbath day. Why? Because the Lord is the Lord of time, isn't he? He's the Lord of our time. And and one of the reasons why God has called Israel out to make them his people is for them to relate to him as people to their God and to enjoy the blessings and the peace and the rest that go along with that worship of their God. And that is everything that they did not have 
in Egypt. When they were in Egypt, they did not get the Sabbath day off. They made bricks and they built buildings every day. Day after day after day. Year after year after year. And now God says, I am bringing you out. I am rescuing you. I'm redeeming you. You're going to be my people. I want you to rest. I want you to enjoy life in my presence. It reminds us of the first question of the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so God takes a moment here before he gives all the instructions again for the tabernacle. And he says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember this day of rest. Enjoy rest in the presence of your God. And the Sabbath also teaches us to depend on God, doesn't it? Just like in when they were gathering manna in the wilderness, they weren't supposed to do it on the seventh day. Why? Because they were supposed to gather more on the sixth day and depend on God to grant them more on the sixth day and that it wouldn't spoil so they wouldn't have to go out and work on the seventh day. They were to trust. It doesn't all depend on you. It depends on me is what God is saying in that. Trust him. So honor the Lord with your obedience. Honor the Lord with your time. Honor the Lord with your possessions. In this passage that we read, we saw over and over the willingness of the people to give. And and not just giving of whatever they had lying around, but giving of the very best that they had. These materials that are mentioned here, the gold and the fine linen and the acacia wood, these are very costly materials. And not everyone had the same. When they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians and they got some of these articles of silver and gold and fine raiment and and clothing. But not everyone had the same. Some had more gold than others. Some had more silver. Some... But the point is that they were willing to give of what they had. It was a completely free will offering, wasn't it? There was not a set requirement of you have to bring this number of pieces of gold or this number of pieces of a fine garment. No, it was whatever the Lord places on your heart. Come and give. So like what Paul says in the New Testament, that God loves a cheerful giver. And the Israelites came and gave cheerfully, didn't they? They honored God with their possessions. And so much so that toward the beginning of chapter 38 or 36, it says that the the workers had to say, whoa, hold on. We've got too much. And Moses actually had to come out and make a statement saying, don't bring any more. We've got enough for what we need for all the materials for the tabernacle. That's how generous and cheerful the Israelites were in in giving this free will offering of the materials for the tabernacle. Honor the Lord with your possessions. It all ultimately belongs to him, doesn't it? It's his. Honor the Lord with your obedience, with your time, with your possessions. Honor the Lord with your talents and skills. We find throughout this passage in, in a few different places where God used the skills and the talents of people to accomplish his work. We saw in in chapter 35 where the women who had skill were weaving the, the fine yarn, the fine linen, and they would bring the fruit of their work. 
We see with uh, Bezalel and Aholiab that they are specially skilled and they are going to be overseeing this whole project. And it teaches us that God has blessed us not only with time, not only with possessions, but he's also blessed us with talents and skills and abilities, hasn't he? And we are to honor the Lord with those. To use what he has blessed us with to the fullest for his glory. Not for our own, but for his. And in one place in this passage, it says that God granted supernatural spirit wrought wisdom and skill to Bezalel and Aholiab. Did they have skill on their own? Yes, they did. They were already skilled craftsmen, but they would not have been able to finish the job and complete the task without the aid of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's an interesting thought to think about when we think about the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, isn't it? That sometimes we think of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament that that sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us something that we never had before, and that's not necessarily always the case. God may take something that he's already built into us, and he may uh, motivate us and empower us to use that under the blessing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so you might have someone who is naturally a good speaker or naturally someone who is good in administration and the Holy Spirit saves that person, draws them to Christ and indwells that person. And now the Spirit enables that person to use that speaking ability or that administrative ability for the blessing of Christ's people in the church. And perhaps even to a greater degree than they would be able to do on their own without the aid of the Holy Spirit. Bezalel and Aholiab were skilled men, but the Holy Spirit empowered them to do more and to go above and beyond what they were probably able to do themselves to accomplish the work that God had given them to do. But they were faithful. They had talents, they had skills, they had endowments from the Lord, and they honored the Lord by using those for his work. There's a lesson for us there to honor the Lord with our talents and our skills. And I want to finish with this last point, and I will probably take this point into future chapters as we finish out Exodus. And this last point is to honor the Lord by revering and cherishing his presence. Honor the Lord by revering and cherishing his presence. What is this tabernacle construction all about? The whole point of these chapters both the original instructions as well as the repeated living out or accomplishing the building of the tabernacle, all of these chapters are to put the focus on God coming to dwell with his people. And that the people of God would revere that in the sense of fear God and honor him and revere him, but also to cherish and to worship God as he dwells among them. Now, here's a sobering thought. We are, in a New Testament sense, we are the tabernacle of God. And I mean that not only in an individual sense, that we all have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but I mean it even more specifically in a collective sense, in an assembly sense, that when the church is gathered as the people of God, we are the tabernacle, we are the temple. Paul says that in Corinthians, he uses the plural. He says, you, plural, you, when you are gathered, you are the temple of God. 
in whom God's spirit dwells. And so now we are no longer concerned with having a certain type of cloth or a, or a certain type of metal or a certain type of wood to construct a, a sanctuary for the Lord. We are that sanctuary. And may we take as great of skill and care and dedication and commitment in shaping this tabernacle as the people of Israel took in building that tabernacle. So let's focus on our lives. Let's focus on one another's lives. Let's focus on the church as a whole and see how we can design and make this tabernacle a holy dwelling place for the Lord. Ultimately, it's him that builds it, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, then we labor in vain. This is the Lord's house, but he has called us to grow in holiness, to pursue holiness, to, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to become more and more progressively a holy sanctuary for the Lord our God. This passage teaches us the, the importance of the presence of God and to revere that presence and to cherish that presence. And we have that presence as the people of God today. Now, that takes faith because we can't see it, right? We can't see anything special, anything unique about the presence of God when we're gathered together. The people of Israel, they had visible manifestations. They had smoke on the mountain. They had the Shekinah glory of God. We don't have those visible, tangible manifestations of God's presence. But that's where we believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We don't see God. We don't see visible manifestations of him, but he is here. He is here with us. And when we gather as his people, he is here in a special sense, present among us to be honored and cherished and enjoyed by his people. May we think about that more and more as we gather as the people of God and in our own lives as we seek to be a tabernacle for the Holy Spirit. So honor the Lord with our obedience, honor the Lord with our time, honor the Lord with our possessions, honor the Lord with our talents and our skills and our abilities, and honor the Lord by revering and cherishing his presence in our lives. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father God, we thank you for all that you have done for us through Christ, and that through him and his finished work for us on the cross of Calvary that we can be called the children of God. Lord, help us as your people to give our all to you. As the people of Israel give an example in these last chapters of Exodus, they gave their time, their possessions, their talents and skills to you for your presence, for your holy dwelling. God, may we learn from that. And may we take this, this word that we've read and, and reflected on tonight and may that encourage us and, and inspire us to use our time and possessions and talent for you, for your honor and your glory. Lord, help us to enjoy you and to glorify you and to live our lives with you at the center of everything that we do. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.